Ah, boy! You're listening to the Fodcast. Yahoo! And welcome to the Fodcast, episode 18, where I'll be talking with my brother uh, about the Lego movies. This is your host, Philip Elke of the Thodcast, conversations about animation. How's it going, Dawson? It's going really good. Lego Movie 2 was awesome, and I'm excited to say a few things about it and listen to a few more things. Yeah, yeah, we're going to just keep this a little bit brief. We're recording this last minute, and uh, it'll be up a little bit late, but uh, it's been a busy week for both of us. And yeah, we just want to kind of give general impressions on the Lego movies, especially uh, the most recent one, Lego Movie 2. I know we said we were going to do it on an earlier show, and uh, we just never got around to the Lego movies just yet. But um, and I figured now would be a good time to get to it. Now we've both seen uh, the second movie. And um, I don't know if each movie necessarily deserves a full episode. We were thinking about doing that. But I think uh, we can sort of sum up the gist of both films in one episode. So I think we're just going to take that approach. Yeah, they really, they really blend together well, so we mm-hmm. can kind of talk about them as a unit. They do. They do really. Um, they are kind of part and parcel of the same thematic, I guess, parcel or... I, I, I just said parcel, part and parcel of the same thematic family. Part and parcel well, family. of the same envelope. Oh, thematic yellow envelope. Mm-hmm. What are those called? Uh, a manila envelope? Yes, Manila. But because these movies are so centered around family and around uh, child's play, uh, they they really um, deliver, I think, something unique and special in sort of today's media landscape. Um, and you, you can kind of draw comparisons to something like Toy Story or other movies based on around uh, toy properties. But um, I think this these movies give you something really unique about the perspective of children as they are playing. I think whereas Toy Story was largely about the toys independent of the human characters, um, these are entirely told through the perspective of toys as they're being played with, which is really a fascinating subject. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it out there in movies. And it's such an an, an immediately intimate, relatable sensation. And I'm amazed that they are able to capture that particular feeling. Yeah. Like everyone knows what everyone knows what it's like to, you know, fall in love and have your own variation of the hero's journey sort of a thing. Um, People, you know, relate to movies all the time. But that particular feeling of I'm playing with my toys and I'm relating to my siblings and my parents while doing that and then to have the toys that you're playing with have their own relations with each other all at at the same time it's it's astounding and it's so strange and weird and awesome to feel those things while you're watching the film Mm -hmm. yeah well the fact that these are are like toys that are being played with is kind of a spoiler for the first one. It really isn't until the very end that we learn the twist where there are human characters involved and this Lego universe is some kind of crazy meta hallucination <laughs> uh, by, you know, that that's just sort of 
uh, an abstract um, representation of the psyche of of one of the kids in these movies. And I, well, I, I don't know. Yeah. I would say it's actually a it's a perfect representation of kind of what maybe my imagination was like. Maybe what kids' imaginations is like, where you know when you're playing with toys, when you're playing with Legos, you're holding the figures in your hand and you're weaving these complicated stories and relationships together and yeah you're just bouncing them around with your fingers but in your mind this whole i mean it's alive and and interactive in uh in a trans-dimensional sense and you and that's what's that's what's happening it's like what you when you watch the legos doing the lego things you're watching what the child imagines in his head but then also you're just you're watching literally what the Legos see. It's like, it's it's not honestly that hard for me to sort of get what's going on in these films. It's, you know, the kids have their reality. They live in three-dimensional reality that we all know and experience. And then the Legos themselves have their own dimensional existence. And like, it's not that, it's not that one existence isn't real and the other one is. It's like, they're both real. It's kind of a Narnia thing where when the kids in the human world go to Narnia and they come back, it's like, no time has passed. Um, it's like, it's, it's just such a completely different realm, but well, yeah. So this goes connect. back to my sausage party rule where this dimension is something that can only be accessed through the consumption. It's exactly of- that. I just wish you had a different film that you could title for it. So you didn't no, have to keep bringing it up. I, I love when the I'm sausage- talking about the Lego movie. The last thing I want to, Philip just said he loves. I, 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 I said I, I love the. I mean, I was gonna say the name. Uh, I love the name, the Sasha Party Rule. I don't necessarily love that movie, but it's it's such a. Great That's movie. fair. That makes it kind of funny. It's like, oh, the Sausage Party Rule, and I go, oh no, don't make me think about that. <laughs> but um, accurate. Um, but yeah, this this movie, like, because there's the Toy Story Rule, which is these toys just straight up come to life and yes. are interacting in, in the same planar existence as humans. But um, the, you know, sausage party rule is, is a bit more abstract. It is like, you, um, it, it occurs within the space between spaces, if you will. Yeah. Another and Indiana Jones reference. <laughs> the, space. the lion's head. Well, they're, they're, I mean, these movies, speaking of references, are just chock full of, um, you know, pop culture uh, paraphernalia. And, but they're still going to hold up in 10 years uh, or 20 years mm-hmm. because, uh, because of how well done they are and how the humor doesn't rely solely on pop culture references, but just how snappily it's cut together, how brilliant the writing is. I mean, these movies just, they move and they never, there's never a waste of space. I'd love watching these movies because every time I sit down to them, I immediately get engaged and swept away because it just doesn't dilly dally about it mm-hmm. is not a moment is wasted. Not a single one. Mm-hmm. It is very anarchic and has few rules. Um, one of the few rules, I guess that the, the, this movie really tries to adhere to is just building everything out of Lego pieces. Um, there are a few exceptions in some of the more uh, like mythological moments in the first film when they're like in the underground volcano and stuff, like not all of the volcano and rock and stuff is, is made out of Legos. And then of course they start bringing these 
MacGuffins, these objects from the real world. And that starts to like, you know, make you wonder what else is going on here. You've got the crazy glue, all the little, you know, items that are in Lord Business's castle or his, uh, his tower. Um, how, how could these potentially play into the, the story that is being told? And the story that's, you know, it's linear. It's, um, it's got a certain logic to it, but it's also just very yeah. frenetic, sporadic, and um, improvisational. I mean, how they incorporated time travel into a plot, an interplanetary plot that has two plots going on because one is the real world and the kid is telling the time travel story as, and we're watching that time travel story unfold in the dimension of the Lego characters who think that they are both in command and subservient to the fate of the time travel. Yeah. It's, it's bonkers I, it, how, <laughs> how well it works. It's well, I, yeah, I mean, is that time travel thread supposed to be reconciled within the world of, of Finn, the, the boy? Like, is he actually coming up with the time travel scenario in his head? Or is that just that's, an extra? That's what I came away with. That, like, both he and his sister were, they were coming up with such imaginative and elaborative ways to correspond with each other and to bring their worlds of play together that you know she concocted this whole wedding scheme and abducted the justice league and he concocted this and he yeah like i i had a a, it was sorry i imagined that the boy was able to like think fully through and you know really considered do i want to play with my sister and am i kind of playing with my sister by playing against my sister and instead of just saying no, I don't want to play with you, I'm gonna Im- I'm gonna imagine a way that these toys that I love, these characters that I play with, mm-hmm. are combating this situation, this contentious situation in real life. So I think, I mean, that's what I, that's how I interpreted it was that the boy was in fact yeah. he because you see him holding Rex's ship and like. I don't know if he was directly responsible for throwing any of the characters under the washing machine dryer. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't mean, know if I'm in major spoiler probably, territory without well, fair warning, wasn't. but yeah, I don't know. You, you wouldn't think Finn would forget about Emmett for, for too long. Uh, now, and we've, we've already jumped headlong into right. the, like the most significant meat of the uh, second movie. And I, I don't know if this is just a sign at, you know, our opinion of the second film, which is, it's at least as good as the first, if not better. Easily, easily, yeah. easily as good, yeah. Uh, it didn't do very well at the box office, though, in comparison. You know, my guess, and you can tell me if you have a different guess, but I mean, when people saw the Lego movie coming out in theaters, a lot of, a ton of people probably immediately dismissed it. So I'm guessing seeing the Lego movie too. Like, no matter, even if people liked the first one or heard how good it was, subconsciously they're going, the Lego movie, and it's a sequel. And it's like double hesitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we've already had, just that. I think, four th- theatrical Lego movies. The first Lego movie, then oh, and, we did and that Lego Ninjago. <laughs> I haven't um, seen Batman or Ninjago. Okay, yeah. That Ninjago one, I think, is more aimed at, like, diehard Lego fans uh and and children and children yeah um and then lego batman's of course kind of for everybody because of all the (laughs) 
you know, <laughs> the zeitgeist you know, references. But um, yeah, now we have a Lego, and the Lego Batman film was pretty successful. But yeah, now we are back. And to, I can't believe I didn't see it. Um, yeah, it's, it was okay. I I didn't like it you know, as much as either of these films. I've heard some people say that it's their favorite. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it does banks just so heavily on on batman recognition yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the the batman sort of history and lore uh, and and this this movie has some great moments too where they draw upon you know the batman uh franchise there's an adam west cameo <laughs> which is great <laughs> a few puns batman forever yeah in in uh like a movie too um yeah, yeah, it's he. He plays a major role once again. He's kind of one of the almost like a MacGuffin character in this one because yeah, he's got a he's yeah. so wonderfully relevant to the plot. <laughs> I don't know, he's integral. Yeah, in a way you deal? never you couldn't even. Well, and it's I think it's just kind of part of these films' charm is the extent to which they involve batman like how random that this i mean he's a hugely famous yep. and recognizable character so it's advantageous to have him heavily involved because but you don't ex you don't expect them to keep making use of him like you're always waiting for them to forget about batman or drop batman or like cut the batman thing and they never do they just keep going on with it and it's so good yeah like wouldn't warner brothers prefer that this beloved character not necessarily be put in all these zany situations and yeah compromising scenarios right i mean i guess batman has has run the gamut you know well yeah it's like who lets uh another franchise use a use property that extensively it'd be like as if in the Kingdom Hearts games, of some Disney character was like a main character right alongside the the main original character that you play as, and like goes through the whole game mm -hmm. with you. Uh, which actually is is true in the case of Donald Duck and Goofy, but they don't really have as much of their own. Well, those characters, yeah, they're mascots of Disney. They're mascots. Yeah, they're not like, yeah, it'd be like it'd be like Aladdin. Oh, Elsa. Or Aladdin, yeah, like yeah, Aladdin as a main character, like which would be great, but mm -hmm. you just it's not done. But they do that with Batman, and they take a dump on the rest of the Justice League, which I'm also kind of <laughs> amazed Warner Bros. lets them get away with. Yeah. Oh yeah, the the multiple versions of Wonder Woman, pretty great. That um, was nuts. Oh, this movie is just nuts scene after nuts scene that you don't. <laughs> and songs, musical numbers, two of them or three, mm -hmm. I too right yeah and was, just appear out of nowhere and it's perfect mm -hmm. it's <laughs> i'm surprised it took you long as long as it did to see it i i went to it opening weekend and i enjoyed it enough to like i, I wanted well i'm glad i saw it again with you and i i mean i was thinking about going back just by myself uh but i, I was a little weirded out by because like some of those musical numbers are, are a little awkward and and kitty um that's so funny i didn't i never got like cringy vibes which okay. i when you talk when you talked to me about it i was like "Ooh, i can i can see where maybe this film has some flaws where it didn't where the original didn't but mm -hmm. when they came and the circumstances in which they came i i was sold yeah it it really is played to a, a maximum effect where 
it's not just this hackneyed um, by the numbers Saturday morning cartoon villain scenario. You're you're really treated to multiple levels of nuance with the with the villain character who who I think she is the source of the first musical number. Yes. And like you just said, it's, it's you know, not some Disney or uh, some TV children's villain, super secret yeah. evil plan. Well, like the charming, wonderful nature of this first musical piece is that the song lyrics are literally, this is not my super evil plan and I'm not being sneaky. I'm not Mm-hmm. The, the lyric, ah, man, I wish I could recite the lyrics. Ultimate heart, subversion, uh, but but it's it is actually subversive, uh, at least doubly because, of course, this character Queen Whatever Wanabe, played by uh, Tiffany Haddish, um, the the singing's not great, but it's not supposed to be either. Um, so I mean, she's fine. She's fine. I didn't. She didn't stand out as a different from like any pop that's played today. So, <laughs> or stand out as inferior. Yeah, it's a, it's a little poppy. Um, and of course, she's supposed to be this sort of flawed character who, you know, just despite the uh, intent of the song, I guess from her perspective, is to make her not seem villainous. But every every moment of the song is just a pure hint at you know her having ulterior motives like she confuses words mm-hmm. she confuses the word what sinister for sincere <laughs> and then oh, like she yes, has those yes, flash yes. cards with a bunch of I'm, like I'm villainous totally words i mean <laughs> yeah and <laughs> she just adds the word on in front of these sinister sounding words <laughs> on these flash cards uh, yeah, words that describe me: unmalevolent, unreproachable, <laughs> or unreprehensible, unconniving. Yeah, I don't know. It's... Unconniving. That was one of them. <laughs> unconniving. <laughs> You've just added on. Yeah. You just added yeah on to words that literally describe. It's like Thelonious and Shrek when he's scribbling on those cue cards for the audience. You know, that's a good comparison, actually, kind of overall. There, it's sort of Shrek-y in, oh, the, gosh. Yeah. in the pacing and the humor. Just the tone of the film and the place in our popular consciousness. Yeah. No, it, like any mentioned, you're surprised I didn't, I didn't see it sooner. And like I, as much as I loved the first one, that sort of apathy towards the release of this and I was like oh I I know this is going to be good and I'll and I'll see it but I didn't have a burning like need to mm-hmm. I guess and maybe a lot of people are going to miss it just solely for the fact they're like oh I'm sure that's good but I'm busy and there's Netflix so I leave my house I'll just watch it later you yeah know? there's a lot of stuff I, too bad. I sort of likened it to the Lego video games where now there's just a constant slew of lego games and they're probably great but they're not they're not like special anymore they're not events yeah like the kind of first few were the lego star wars man Mm -hmm. i was really into like the second the release of the second lego star wars i didn't i hadn't even played the first one all the way through but i don't i didn't the second one um I maybe did. The first one was like, I remember staying up like seven hours all through the night once because I got it as like a birthday present or something. 
okay. right before Revenge of the Sith came out. I think I had seen you play I've... most of it or something, but I, I was really pining yeah. for the second game. Um, it just looked... Yeah, same. Kind of... So, it looked like a major... It looked better in every upgrade. way. Mm-hmm. They were really figuring mm-hmm. out that whole uh, engine and, and that the mechanics of that whole scheme. And it was better in every way. And like from the character customization to the just the the movement and and everything except for the the Jabba's palace mm-hmm. break uh dancing secret easter egg with with the rock imperial march wasn't quite as classic <laughs> as the secret camino dance floor um oh yeah i, wow, I mean, that's tripping going back we need to get the, i need to get i've always wanted the complete saga where they put yeah. both together wasn't the camino dance a, a little bit more like secretive than the Jabba's Palace one or super ran yeah the job you like kind of knew in the second one you knew to look for it mm-hmm. and when you yeah you like found it was a room that you like walked in naturally and then went oh this has got to be it whereas in the the Camino one mm-hmm. a complete accident I don't even know how I discovered it so when I did it was like one of those jaw-dropping moments where I was just ro- rolling on the floor laughing. It was the heavy metal uh, Imperial March, right? In Jabba's... In Camino? No, not Camino. Uh, what, what, what song was that? And that's the sad thing. I can't even remember. It was a techno something. It wasn't... Duel of the Fates? Was it a cover of one of the... Or was Wayne it just themes? the Star Wars theme? Or okay, the Mecco version of the Star Wars theme, the, the disco Star Wars. Um, cover. anyways, yeah, the, I said that the Tiffany Hatter song, um, w- was subversive on, on two levels, which is that, like, okay, so this is obviously a villain character, and of course, she's she's trying to come off as not a villain, but it's so obvious that she is that the movie clearly wants me to think that this is a villain or either either that or the movie wants me to think she's so obviously a villain that she's that she's not. not a villain. But then I was like, no, she'll she'll end up being a villain in the end. <laughs> it's not going to be that simple. Wait till I get going. <laughs> only a only a great fool would think that she's a villain. <laughs> it's quite clear that you. Oh my gosh! It's quite clear that the movie wants me to think that she's not a villain, and then the so the big twist at the end will be that she actually is. Yeah. Um, but you'd like to think that, wouldn't you? <laughs> um. Yeah. It that was so that was just wonderful because the whole time you're wondering and you don't know and then it ends up being so much more complicated than that and then another character that you had no idea was an antagonistic force kind of swoops into that position and it's like oh yeah this is the movie these movies they feel like imagine the most popular like two dudes or dude and girl or two girls or whatever that not only are they the most popular in your friend group but you also like them the most and you love hanging out with them Mm. and they just have this like chemistry between them where anytime they start telling a story they just know how to tell it so well and then so it's like they're improving but it sounds scripted 
And you don't want them to stop because they're just so good. And that's what it watching this movie feels like. It's like at this great, like two friends just shooting ideas off of each other. It's, it's as funny and raw as it is when they're thinking of it and everything that they think of just gets put on film exactly how they imagined it. And I know that's not how any movie works, but there is that sense that these get from script to screen a lot more purely than a lot of other just kind of corporately arranged films do like, and, and I'm so that, you know, that duo I just described obviously is, you know, probably Lord and Miller have a lot to do with that, but then there's also Chris McKay and, you know, a whole team has to actually, you know, design this thing and bring it to life. Um, and it's uh, it's it's just interesting. I'm because like How to Train Your Dragon is the most recent animated film I've watched, other than this. And it's like, why when I watch the How to Train Your Dragon movies, other than kind of the first one, is there this sense of meandering or like that things aren't connecting? Like, yeah, it's, in it's the all, most yeah. compelling and engaging way. And the, why? But these movies do. These Lego movies just somehow do. Um, yeah, the, the I think. With How to Train a Dragon, you know, due to the nature of it being like an action series set in like a fantasy world, but ultimately, like, they have to keep it pretty safe for kids. Um, it, it's ultimately uh, just a little bit, you know, meddled <laughs> as a result. Um, they, they yeah, can't, you know. but even like, even Frozen, I'm going to say, like, is closer to the Lego movie in the sense of just from start to finish, there's such a clear inspired story being told here. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and just yeah. in terms, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. The, it, it just really impacts cause it has just this pure intention behind it. And, and that kind of comes with the clout that Phil Lord and Chris Miller have as a uh, comedic, uh, creative duo uh, and yeah i i haven't seen the uh cloudy with the chance of meatballs or any of the 21 jump street movies either. but clearly they've had some sort of uh, resonance culturally uh, well, okay we yeah well, we they, did see they can make sony pictures sony animated pictures look good yeah like that takes heavyweight champion of the world skill to pull off <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse just won the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. And we didn't talk about the Oscars last week, but um, yeah, no, we uh, didn't. that was definitely a worthy... Spider-Verse won! Woo! Yeah, <laughs> yeah worthy choice. Yeah, that's and really I the only... I can't thing. remember who won Best Picture. It was a movie I didn't see and don't Green care Book. about. And yeah. Roma won Best Director for no reason. Oh, Green <laughs> Book, yeah. No, I heard, that. I heard that was really good. I wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. I saw it was good. The, the whole anarchic improvisational feel of, of just children playing. I, you know, it was really, you know, something that, that could maybe get old. Sometimes improv has diminishing returns, but um, just the jokes here were, were really so surprising at times and just didn't hold back on, on kind of warping, the audience's mind and it, it was and the characters were charming the performances were great 
yeah it uh and then it had such heart with the family stuff um and that yeah. really is, is what clinched it for got me. me got me um then the, there the, the wordplay i i love in the first movie one of my favorite moments is when benny the space man played by uh charlie day and of course it's great how they include the little detail of his chin strap being broken on the helmet yes like how that little piece would all relatable uh you know as as much as lego might not want to you know show that their product has flaws like these movies don't care like they'll (laughs) they'll make every joke in the book that you know whether it's flattering or not and uh the, and like crap on an entire line, like Duplo. <laughs> no one likes Duplo. <laughs> Duplo, like, Lego friends. <laughs> um, Lego friends. How they just they hop with their legs that are glued <laughs> together. Like <laughs> they and they're able to lampshade that a little bit with General Mayhem in the second one, where she has a jetpack, so she just sort of hops and glides. But then there are the other, mm-hmm. you know, not unbe jetpacked characters who uh do walk awkwardly we're attractive (laughs) non-threatening vampires (laughs) um but like the the line in the first one with the the metal beard character (laughs) homage i guess to lego's famous pirates line but um oh and and then benny yeah he's trying to access or to disable the shield blocking the heroes from entering lord business's tower and He's, he's like trying oh. to get the computer to turn off the shield. He's just saying all these phrases that should be obvious, you know, to get to get the computer to perform this function. And finally, the thing that works is when Metalbeard comes up and in pirate speak is like, mm, be disabling of yon shield. And she's like, oh, shield disabled. It's like the only (laughs) jargon that was effective was his old timey ye olde piratey English. (laughs) So great. So good. Um I I love uh I don't know, vocabulary humor. Yeah, voc oh so good. What so what was the one joke that didn't work in the film, Philip? Oh yeah, we talked about this in Lego Movie yeah. Two, the and it was in the trailer, the scene where the that robot guard for uh, was it the Queen Wanabe's throne room? Uh, it's yeah. uh, Lucy, aka Wildstyle, is like be prepared to meet your greatest nightmare or something like that. Or, I'm your I'm your worst nightmare. I'm your worst nightmare. <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, the the robot guards like I'm late for school, something something, and my pants are made of pudding. <laughs> it, it's yeah, a, funny, yeah. I'm, I'm like, I think she might. So you're me it, when I'm late for school, and I and my pants are made of pudding. And every time I saw that trailer, I'd cringe a little bit, and I'd go, mm, "That's it not feels right." Like a Nickelodeon gag, like it's you know, yeah. back based, you know, the the slime uh, angle, you know. My pants are made of pudding. What was the show on Nickelodeon where they had to do all the crazy, like, 
stunts and uh, slime time all, all the, maybe or shoot all, I, I don't know if i'm gonna think of it right now slime? No. um uh, oh kablam was it not not kablam that was nick uh, was all about slime still is I, I'll, I'll have to look it up oh double dare that that must be it i uh I was blanking. That doesn't ring too much of a bell, but yeah, that that type. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, because because Dawson, like, what would the joke be if it were actually like in the style of Lego Movie humor? So, you're me when I'm late to school, and I'm not wearing any pants. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. You had like you almost had it, Lego Movie Two. Like you have. You had the dream that everyone know, you know, I'm your worst nightmare. So you're me when I'm late for school and I'm not wearing any pants and, you know, or like, and my pants disappear or I look down mm-hmm. and find out I'm not wearing pants. And they already have the like, honey, wear my pants joke in the film. So I think even oh, that one yeah. moment in the trailer, honestly, it, well, it's, it, it it was a huge hit to the trailer to the for me and gave me a sense of oh this lego movie sequel is gonna have more misfires than the original like it's gonna have weaker jokes yeah it's it's going to not be as good i'm late Um, for school and i forgot my homework and my pants are made of pudding I'm late for school. I forgot my homework and I'm not wearing any pants. Like, see, yeah, that's. <laughs> but, um, Sorry, or I'm only in my underwear. Uh, of course, I it brought up that recent movie that Red Letter Media talked about. We're both oh here, huge fans of Red Letter Media, the Wisconsin based YouTube channel um, who do, do uh, cynical reviews. So many film. good movie recommends from their review series. <laughs> Yeah, and they were just talking about that movie from the Zucker Brothers, who are also um, Midwest-based filmmakers. Um, That's why they're called, the best. Yeah, um, <laughs> Top Secret with Val Kilmer, and there's a <laughs> Val Kilmer's debut. <laughs> yeah, he's he was like a spy in post world post war Germany. Well, he wasn't supposed to be a spy. He was supposed <laughs> he's supposed to be Elvis and go over to a cultural festival in Germany and then get swooped into hijinks and crazy. Yeah, hijinks. it looked no. like um, a total riot. I, I have yet to see it, but you you recently saw it. But that one scene, what that's similar to the part in Lego Movie Two, the whole late for school bit, uh, where he's getting tortured by the East Germans and they they're like hitting him so hard he knocks out for a bit and starts dreaming about there's a wibbly wobbly transition to a dream yeah (laughs) yeah he's showing up to the school at his locker there's another kid there he's like oh am i late for the exam and the kid's like oh the exams are over this school's been out for weeks what are you doing and he's just freaking out because he didn't you know finish his final exam (laughs) <laughs> and then, and then it phases back to him getting tortured. He he wakes up and he's like, whew, wipes off his brow as he's getting nuts by jerk. Oh, it was just a dream. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank goodness I'm only getting tortured. So if you wanna yeah, if you wanna watch literally one of the funniest films ever made, go rent Top Secret on Amazon Prime right now. I watched it twice back to back um 
Valentine's Day night with my lover, and then the next day <laughs> as a double date. Um, okay. So, wow. So, so yeah, Jillian no, saw it twice too. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, so we got we got what we thought was halfway and we were super tired and we were like, and we had to have the volume super quiet because a roommate was sleeping in the next room. Uh, but it, it was still hilarious, but not prime circumstances. It ended up, we, we only had about 15 minutes left of the film. Mm-hmm. So we saw most of it and then we paused it. And then the next day had people over and we're like, guys, we just wa- we've been watching this movie and you have to. <laughs> and then we watched the naked gun right after that. <laughs> oh, wow. It was yeah. great. It was great time yeah naked gun airplane a bunch of these and i had kept making the comment that they just don't make them like they used to and maybe that's why the lego movie feels so good it's Mm -hmm. like a it's a throwback to back when they they put time effort money and skill into comedy stories where there was a story it was great but the comedy was wild and reckless and relentless and and it also worked. Um, and the humor wasn't just, uh, you know, non sequiturs and one liners, you know, Holmes and Watson style, but it was like really intelligent jokes and um, yeah, visual gags. Yeah. gags. yeah, visual gags. And hardly any, uh, po- almost no pop culture references in Top Secret. That's why it's a movie from 1983 and you, you wouldn't even, I mean, yeah apart from just, i guess the whole um, there's a couple but the ford pinto joke <laughs> the ford pin yeah but even that doesn't matter because the you know it's oh, a and, car and the, the car rockabilly and, the rockabilly aesthetic too the rockabilly what's that you know the 50s elvis you know doo-wop you know, oh but that's like everyone knows that and like yeah. people love that just mm-hmm. vibe that's still a cultural um, aesthetic and hilarious that it's like 1949 and she's like, yeah, my dad got out of Germany during the, during the Jimmy Carter administration. <laughs> it's just what? so stupid. Oh. Yeah. She's like, uh, my father escaped and went to America or cause she was like America, they take their freedom for granted. And he's like, I don't know. It's a pretty great place and starts referencing all these like modern reasons why it's great. And, uh, <laughs> Or no, I think her father like left and like escaped Germany, but then came back to escape the Carter administration or something. I don't know. It's is wild. It's good stuff. Well, maybe. He... Anyway, we're talking about like <laughs> maybe he's clairvoyant. Uh... And speaking of Batman, it, it's top secret is Val Kilmer's debut, but the scientist character is played by Alfred from the Batman series oh, yeah. is he in the is he in the he's I, in the joel schumacher one yeah, batman Bert, and robin Bertman and True. batman forever yeah will arnett who plays batman in, in uh in both uh films and and the lego batman movie and he uh he does make references in lego batman too to like his uh desirable qualities during the second of the tiffany haddish musical numbers uh, when he refers to his Val Kimmer lips, his uh, George Clooney, like he he, he invokes both uh, Schumacher Batman, uh, his Clooney charm, the best of all Batman. 
there's something something about Keaton Keaton's I don't know edge or his something about his darkness. Yeah, I mean Clooney was definitely like he had the look for he had the look down for Batman. So definitely have to give him props. Yeah. Um, Just yeah, definitely. You know, part of the reason why Batman in this movie isn't necessarily so uh, in congruous because he has been through all those crazy um iterations with schumacher and adam west and you know hasn't always been super dark and serious as kind of more some of the more preferred iterations are once everything was awesome now everything is bleak hey lucy i brought you coffee coffee the bitter liquid that provides the only semblance of pleasure left in these dark times oh my goshness did i interrupt you brooding just now times have changed you need to change with them we have to be tough and battle ready look a shooting star make a wish (gasps) oh no Ah! hurry the door is slowly closing the pain. It's getting so cold. Emmett, what are you doing? See, that wasn't so bad. Nothing got in. Ah, Something got in. I'm General Mayhem. Bring me your fiercest leader. Lucy! Emmett! One of of the people in the the commentary, because I listened to the commentary for the first film, and they were discussing all the tools that you know filmmakers storytellers have at their disposal and how like while you don't necessarily want something to feel heavily reliant on tropes um or you don't want it to be cliched or repetitive um with what has gone before but it is useful to recognize the sort sort of the beats the ingredients that go into a story for what they are, um, so that if you kind of reach a, a point, an impasse, or a, a point of you know writer's block, what have you, um, you can draw upon some of these more, you know, well-worn uh, conventions. Time, time honored. Yeah. 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 Time honored. Yeah. That's that's um, time honored conventions in order to complete your story without getting too you know obsessive about oh it has to be unique and original has to fit just right sometimes you can come up with uh you know resort to some pieces that were prefabricated uh in order to help bring your story into a full circle um so yeah the the lego movies um the first one came out 2014. Um, I don't know, like they, they definitely do play to kids. There really isn't much, you know, despite all the zany references, like there isn't, it's not Shrek like in that there's really any crude humor. So there was a couple times where the, where he says things and it's like, mm-hmm. or where the characters would say, um, like, Kids will 
you don't understand this now, but you will in a few years or <laughs> you will someday. Like, and it's like crazy, like plot stuff, maybe that goes over their heads um, mm-hmm. that they recognize, but they're obviously entertained by everything happening because it looks so good. But the complicated, you know, character motivations and stuff are hard to understand. And then the the final like, movie references a back to the future reference and he's like it's a cool movie for big kids that <laughs> you, you hit that you're gonna love someday yeah, uh, yeah. you aren't ready for it yet like makes back to the future reference and then bill and ted back. excellent adventure oh reference. yeah they get, get bill and ted in there that's <laughs> they get well they quote like every i i took apart bill and ted's you know phone booth and i took the doctor's phone booth. like all these time travel hg wells, wells time machine. <laughs> machine ever he mm-hmm. took a piece from to construct the ultimate and then all uh, the references to all the chris pratt roles through the years was pretty yes. great uh, for rex danger fast uh rex stands for radical emmett extreme <laughs> radical emmett extreme yeah and uh Allusions to future roles for Chris Pratt, maybe. Oh hopefully. well, there was the whole archaeologist thing. Like he's he's an archaeologist, which I think is a reference to Chris Pratt. At, at least news articles uh, listing Chris Pratt as in consideration for Indiana Jones, which I don't think is still necessarily the case. But it was a topic at one point in time. <laughs> so it's great how that yeah, kind of made the it. The internet talked about it. Once. Yeah, the internet <laughs> talked about it. So thus it gets implemented in the Lego movie. Yeah. Um, and, and then, well, I loved the uh, the whole, I mean, the, the identity of Rex wasn't, I, I didn't realize that was Chris Pratt right away because he's doing... Uh, Kurt Russell. Uh, Kurt I knew Russell it was his voice, but I didn't know that that was because they were the same character. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I um, I never saw beforehand like who was credited for the, the voice of Rex, and I thought they had character posters that listed the actors uh, in front of the characters they were playing, like Elizabeth Banks. They did. Lucy. And it um, said Chris Pratt Chris as Pratt. Rex Dangervest. It and was. that's where I kind of learned, yeah. Okay. Because for some reason, I maybe misremembered it as Will Arnett also playing. Because for some reason, I was thinking, oh, one of the actors, the pre-existing actors, is playing this character. But... For some reason, I was thinking it was like Will Arnett or something, and I, I didn't know why that would be the case, unless you know it's just because in animation you frequently have actors performing multiple roles. Um, right. And Will, Will Arnett, like he, he, uh, I don't know, he likes to have a very active role in in common, you know, in everything he's in. So as he should. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was. Chris Pratt doing kind of a, a Jack Burton from Big Trouble in Little China, uh, Kurt Russell type voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rex Dangervest has sort of a, a Snake Plissken ring to it, <laughs> as a as far as the name yeah. goes. Uh, Snake Plissken also played Classic. by Kurt Kurt Russell and what was that Escape from New York, Escape from LA yeah. in both those movies. Yeah, John John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Okay, yeah. 
And then there was also escape. I haven't seen any of them, but there was also I haven't either. from Los Angeles. But I watched the Red Letter Media review of Escape to New York, and that's oh. where I learned so much about it. Okay. Um, and I've always wanted to see it because ever since Metal Gear, Snake Plissken sounded cool, and then Escape from New York sounds cool, <laughs> and it apparently is. So. Metal Gear Solid. Oh boy. There's, there's, that's yeah, Snake's, I mean, he's directly inspired by Snake mm-hmm. Plissken. Mm-hmm. And uh, he even in Metal Gear Solid 2, Snake uses the name Snake Plissken as a as an alter ego for himself uh, yeah. when he's undercover, or or just Plissken, right? Oh yeah, yeah. When he meets Raiden and he's he looks just like an ordinary soldier, <laughs> and he's like Plissken, like Lieutenant or Private Plissken or something. Okay, yeah. Escape from New York. Escape from from L.A. All right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Escape from New York was 1981. Escape from LA was 1996. So 15 years. Oh, wow. Same director, same. Um, LA. Much worse. Um, ooh, Escape from LA has a 5.7 on IMDb. So the reputation is clearly not quite there. Directed by John Carpenter. Huh. Okay. You would think, you know, with a lot of technology, yeah, 19, yeah. Well, 1996 was an awkward phase for anyone except Steven Spielberg. Yeah. So. Uh, Independence Day came out that year. No. I love Independence Day. Yeah, Um, so do I. Apparently it's really stupid, but. (laughs) No, it's it's not. That's if, if you look at it on a superficial level, it is sort of like if you look at Lego movies on a superficial level, they. Okay. Well, no, the Lego movies are brilliant. I mean, I, 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 I haven't seen it in a long time. I think I was Mm -hmm. able to, to get where red letter media was coming from, but also like still just, you know, Love. Oh, yeah they they did review Independence Day, didn't they? And yeah, they they were kind of lukewarm. On, I I I feel like they were positive though, like mixed to positive, because like Mike likes big dumb action movies, doesn't he? Like like yeah, but they, I mean, like legit said or expressly stated that like they don't look too deeply like, like the whole enemy of a dumb movie yeah like, but, but then pointed out all more... these great reasons why but like it's still mm-hmm. i don't know it's fun yeah i i i feel like there it is operating on a deeper level though with all the especially the characters and 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 some of the ufo Thomat- phenomenon. like that's what it's going for mm-hmm. thematic you know big big themes ties in a lot of things it, and it makes sense that like an alien that is malevolent and destructive would be clumsy and um and arrogant and be subject to underestimating you know their their opponent yeah but it doesn't make sense that they would use our satellites to communicate with each other Uh, and you know some of the things that the like in the beginning when there's a blip on the radar if if they're hanging in low orbit they might not have another way of doing so i mean those advanced aliens and all their ships you know can't plan for that i you know because because they're only a few hundred meters off the ground and the checkmate the chess references where he's like what happens in chess checkmate because he's they're 
nothing in that situation is anything like a chess game. The aliens are literally just positioning themselves unobstructed <laughs> to launch a bomb. Like it, there's nothing remotely chess like about it. I don't but, know. Anything um, involving you know, it's but chess is always chess is always just such a if anytime you can whip out chess symbolism. Do yeah. it. Anytime like, there are two opponents facing each other. Yeah. The man in black and the man in white. Uh-huh. Little Kingdom Hearts 3 literally ripped lost like all over the place. <laughs> nice um, well now we're bringing the kingdom house so um but like with independence day i my hunch is, is that these aliens that are attacking earth are like a breakaway civilization from the, their race that you know became really advanced but now these are the, the greedy subspecies that have gone off and you know they're using stolen technology so they're just you harvesting your imagination to make up all your own excess mm-hmm. you know excess lore about mm-hmm. things to get them to, to work in your mind i mean that's you know that's fine you could do that they're they're operating within the uh, temporal dimension which i think you know many of their brethren have since sort of abandoned and have gone on to the more etheric you know, space between spaces once again. <laughs> but yeah, the aliens who've chosen to remain temporally situated are are the ones that are more prone to greed and uh, see. And that's quality. all just complete and utter BS because <laughs> you're pulling it out of your ass. And well, I mean, so. no, no, it's it's just the sort of thing that sparks the imagination when you're when you encounter a, a good story in a good movie. Yeah, I mean. And and what I'm saying does make sense on a metaphysical level. I these aliens, I bet they're an offshoot of a civilization that is from another dimension. I bet that's the you know that's like well that is capable of traversing dimensions because the only way you can achieve interstellar travel is through interdimensional war. I mean, you travel across. Well, you're you're in this because otherwise it would take millions of years to. Travel. Yes, I I know, and yeah. so like Star Wars that does something inherently unscientific, you know, ends up working so it's well not, just because it's good fantasy. But like, yeah, if you incorporate higher dimensions of uh, existence, then yeah. Well, yeah, I, I guess when you said dimensions, I thought you meant like literally, you know, inaccessible from one, or they're completely distinct from each other but you mean like traveling through a black hole so you're like going from like where the aliens lived millions of light years away is the same dimension as ours but they crossed through an interdimensional portal Mm -hmm. to get to this end of that original dimension which is the same Mm -hmm. so and it it is yeah i mean it's a similar principle to like because there could be an alien in our house right now in another dimension like uh-huh. the, like the upside down, basically, and that's that's an astral projection form of interdimensional travel versus a more practical hyperspace warp. You know, you're opening up a a portal for the t- passage of material objects. I don't remember that the film explains how they got here, but obviously they did, and they're in a very physical mm-hmm. sense. You know, they're big clunky. Metal. Yeah, they, they just show up, you know, presumably capable of some sort of interstellar travel. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. But anyway, we're not here to debate Independence Day and its merits. And I'm happy to say the song that goes, this song's 
gonna get stuck in your head has never been so stuck in my head since i saw the film i can't even remember how it goes <laughs> i i like it i prefer it to the everything is awesome personally oh no not at all everything is awesome is wonderful and oh. this song's gonna get this song's gonna get stuck in your head is great for what it is but it's not superior and song. lucy and everything's not the whole, awesome is the whole retcon that was good the the re- reprise at the end of the movie too oh gosh the fake ending i would have been so just fine satisfied if that had been the end. i was <laughs> stoked out of my mind oh. for that to be the ending the li- and i was like okay there's gonna be a third and mm-hmm. i'm that so happy. yeah totally cool with that but how did it end with just like the cover sliding over the box or like they did kind of put a nice button on it at the end yeah was, they just put it into the container of storage the bin of storage after the uh a mom again our mom again yeah because the kid because the kids had a chance to make things right mm-hmm. and they didn't or emmett 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 kept the ring at the end basically like emmett had one chance to destroy evil forever and he made the wrong choice and it was a tragic ending in the That's classical right. sense and it was so just such a bold stroke and so they yeah he and you knew they wanted to end it there so badly but studio intervention said the the first movie was his journey to becoming fix it felix and this one was about him becoming wreck it ralph becoming literally oh and heartbreaking that just like the the real like lucy's like i the i like the emmet i don't want you to change and he's mm-hmm. like the real lucy wouldn't say that oh so. <laughs> oh well that was such a great layer there's so many layers to this movie so like many layers. The... <laughs> so, so many layers uh so much <laughs> it's so stuff. dense every frame and it, every it literally yeah this movie epitomizes that to the t uh it uh every frame is so dense but um, the fact that, like, the Rex Danger Vest character is a manifestation of, like, the the person who Emmett loves, like, her desire for him is is reflected in, in this Rex character and, like, how that yeah. not being... He becomes what what she thought she wanted and what he thought she wanted him to be. Mm-hmm. And it ends up... And that, of course, is not what Mm -hmm. he should be or but and then also the dynamic between the siblings was great and like how that you know they were at odds but it was just failure to effectively communicate yeah when she says i just wanted you to play with me it's like okay um um i can't i can't take much more of this (laughs) it's like they she started out as hostile though like the duplo characters came in and started to wreck everything but of course that's because it's it's a three-year-old no wonder that it was like no wonder the brother had a chip on his shoulder and like i Mm -hmm. of course we all get that you know and Mm -hmm. but that's like like five years goodbye of these siblings growing up at mm -hmm. odds mostly at odds which is extremely unrelatable you know <laughs> the, the anyway. whole mad max uh, you know wasteland <laughs> uh brickburg this was is a mature grown-up hardened world <laughs> that we live in yeah and the mom's like casual reference to to, to his world he had constructed 
been down there. She's like, you go play in Apocalypto Land. Or <laughs> Maya Rudolph, yeah, was great. Uh, it was like she was sort of like how Will Ferrell was like, of course, it, it's him showing up in this role in the first movie. She was kind of the only one who, who could play this character. I feel like Will Ferrell's voice makes a cameo, but he they didn't get him in for the uh, the day. He went golfing. So uh, yeah, he was busy on a meeting at the golf course. Um, the yeah, it's so good though, and like reflective of well, yeah, the the competing ideologies of the brother and the sister, of course, and then the fact that there was so much there was so much going on within each of their own characters as well. Like the boy has just so many competing facets to his personality as well as the girl. You know, I whatever I want to be, <laughs> uh, or what whatever I want to be. You know, all that sort of material relating to the development of child psychology and just how there really is a lot of just dissonance and confusion. Um, and it's just all trying to be worked out through through play, essentially through through telling stories, through iterated games. And sort of like in in Inside Out. Yeah, the islands of personality or whatever they're called. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Oh, and 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 my final note is, uh, I have a big crush on General Mayhem. She's <laughs> in a movie that, and that's weird. And that's where Will ends. Very weird. Um, um but like, w- with no, yeah. The, I mean, she took off the helmet, and I'm like, well, that's a bizarrely attractive Lego <laughs> character. I mean, just I think it was how like amazingly vulnerable she suddenly became like, that's true for a, a toy it was like you have this lego face but you have this like look in your eyes that you're scared and it's not a traditional lego minifigure though it's the lego of no. friends that's more shapely to at least you know human proportion um, but also kind of proportioned like a like a disney characters the, the shapely poly pocket lego friends characters mm-hmm it's a little tough trying to feel attracted to uh, the Elizabeth Bank. To humans when they're such Oh, well, and humans too. Shapely. Exactly. When we have animated characters, they're just so much better looking. <laughs> um. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much for listening. Um, we're going to keep our and and uh, the like the color scheme for have... but the color scheme for wild style's hair uh, lucy's hair matches um general mayhem's like her face makeup she's got these like random yeah they had they all had a hatsunamiko vocaloid thing going yeah. on um, oh i i'm not into those at all by the way hey, I, I have to now whoa. backtrack all the this uh this joke yeah, that was my first thought. It was like, oh, Wild Style was originally like a, a vocaloid EDM happy-go-lucky gal and then got super hardened and edgy. And then General Mayhem reveals and it's like, oh, it's a vocaloid. Big poofy. It's also on an Elsa colors, by the way. The the light blue and magenta. Just thought I'd so their vocaloids point, too. point that out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Time to go. Uh, and thanks All for right. chatting, Dawson. And um, we'll uh, we'll be back again on the podcast. Good night. Yeah. See ya. See ya. See you soon. Thanks for listening. See you in another life.